I'm continuing my dive into the habit literature today, and here is Charles Duhigg, the author of The Power of Habit, talking on the GTD podcast with David Allen. And Charles, his primary contribution to the habit literature is this idea of a keystone habit. So he goes into it a little bit at the end. So stick around. So give us the, a, a quick overview of the whole thing. Sure, sure. We, what we look at, the, the goal of the book is to try to explain to readers, I think, three core things. The first of which is to explain why habits exist and what their structure is. So we know from research in the last decade or so that every habit is made up of three parts. There's a cue and then a routine and then a reward. It doesn't matter if you're talking about why someone eats donuts in the morning or why a company does research and development a certain way. You can break down these, these unthinking decisions, these patterns that emerge into a cue, a routine, and a reward. And a habit is essentially a decision that someone made at some point and then stops making, but the behavior continues. And the reason why I mentioned the cue, the routine, and the reward is because most of the time when we think about habits, we focus on the routine, right? I want to run more, or I want to eat less, or I want my company to be more efficient. And the routine is the most obvious part of a habit. But it turns out, based on the research that's been done, that the cue and the reward are just as important. What the trigger, the cue that sets off a behavior, and the reward that that behavior provides if you understand these two things, then you you gain a new lever for changing the behavior, the, the routine itself. And so that's the first lesson that, that the book tries to explain is, let me explain to you how to identify the cues and, re and rewards in your own life. How do I identify your own habits? And once I explain to you how to identify cues and re rewards in your own life or your own organization, let me let me try and help you figure out why they're so powerful. So why, for instance, when I see a donut, do I suddenly start craving donuts? I might not have been hungry 10 minutes ago, but as soon as I see that donut box, that tickle starts in my brain that I really, really want a donut. And until I go and I pick it up and take a bite and sort of get that hit of sugar, I, I, I feel unsatisfied. Well, in that case, the box of donuts is the cue and that hit of sugar is the reward and picking it up becomes a habit. And so by going into these laboratories where people have studied the neurology of habit formation, we can explain to you why that cue and that reward is so powerful and how to find a different behavior that, that plays off the same cue and delivers the same reward. And so the first third of the book really looks at individual habits and explains the neurology of habit formation. And, and we, we use a couple of stories to do it so that it's not totally boring to, uh, to read. Oh, your case studies are great. Oh, uh, thanks. And, and what a, and, and there's such a range of them too. There, there's such a variety. It, it, it truly is a fun read. Oh, uh, that's, that's yeah, really that's kind of you to say. And, and, and for instance, you know, one of the stories, as I'm sure you remember, is the, is the Febreze story where Procter and Gamble, <clears throat> excuse me, Procter and Gamble had developed this, this brand new product named Febreze that they'd spent millions and millions of dollars on. And it was a total flop. And then they just realized, and Febreze is this spray that you can, you can spray on any fabric and it makes smells disappear. They realized that the, the key to selling Febreze was to tie it into that, a habit that already exists in consumers' lives. They had originally sold Febreze to people who had bad smells in their lives, people who had too many cats or who were smokers. And it was just a total flop. Eventually they realized that the reason why is because if you have a, own a whole bunch of cats or if you smoke, 
you stop smelling the cats and the smoke, right? We, everyone knows this. If there's a bad smell in your life, you become desensitized to it very quickly. So they needed to target consumers who had bad smells in their lives, but only ever so often, not consistently enough that they became desensitized to them, which means that they needed to figure out a new reward to give people when they use Febreze. And so they studied a whole bunch of housewives that were cleaning, and they and they saw that in all these videotapes at the end of the cleaning routine, a lot of them would sort of take a satisfied breath or would take a moment to smile, to look at the good work they just did and kind of compliment themselves. And they realized that's a that's a good reward. We need to tie Febreze into that reward. And so they started re-advertising Febreze as the final step in a cleaning routine to make something smell as good as it looks. And once they did that, literally within three months, Febreze's sales doubled and it's now a billion dollar a year product. So through these case studies, we try and explain this cue, routine, reward, habit loop and why it's so important. And, and then the, the second idea that the book tries to share is that once you, once you understand how habits work, it's not just in people's lives and, or in individuals' lives, it's across whole companies. So the second third of the book looks at companies and how they shape the habits of their employees. And the best example is, is Paul O'Neill, who became treasury secretary. But before that was a CEO, was the CEO of Alcoa, the largest aluminum company in the world. And when Paul O'Neill took over Alcoa, it was, it was kind of this stodgy old company that was stumbling. And, and Paul O'Neill got, got named to head Alcoa and, and Wall Street kind of freaked out because they had no idea who this guy was. So they all, they, they had a meeting to sort of introduce Paul O'Neill to most of the analysts. And Paul O'Neill comes into the room. It's in Manhattan. Everyone's dressed very seriously. And, and most of the analysts expect Paul O'Neill to say, we're going to raise profits. We're going to increase efficiency. We're going to turn this company around. But instead, what Paul O'Neill does is he gets up on stage and he says, my number one goal is worker safety. I want to get to zero injuries. Now, keep in mind, Alcoa is a company that deals with molten aluminum, right? They, they, they're literally pouring these huge pots of 2,000 degree metals. People got hurt all the time in Alcoa factories. They had factories all over the world. And Paul O'Neill gets up on stage and says, I want to get to zero injuries. I'm going to change the worker safety habits of Alcoa so that no one ever gets hurt. Well, the stock, the stock analysts in the room just kind of freak out. In fact, one of them told me that he literally ran out of the room, picked up the phone, called all of his clients and told them to sell their Alcoa stock immediately. But, but what's amazing is that what, what Paul O'Neill knew that he was doing was he knew that his predecessor had tried to change the efficiency and the profitability of Alcoa and had totally failed. In fact, workers had gone on strike. His managers had gotten really upset. So Paul O'Neill said, I need one habit that I can change. And if I can change the right habit, I think it's going to unlock all the other habits in this organization. So the habit he decided to work, to focus on was worker safety habits. And this is, you had mentioned before, this concept of keystone habits, that some habits seem to have more power than others because once you change them, like a chain reaction, they, they set off all these other changes. And when Paul O'Neill decided, I'm going to focus on worker safety habits, what he did is he found something that everyone at Alcoa could agree on. There was no one who was going to say, no, I think it's good for us to have an unsafe workplace. 
And the way he changed worker safety habits was by focusing in on why accidents were happening. And it turns out if you focus in on why accidents are happening, you have to look at the efficiency and the productivity of a plant because very often an accident happens because you're not doing something the best way. And once you start focusing on the efficiency and productivity of a plant, you can go to the workers and you can say, here's a better way to make aluminum. Are you guys willing to do this? Will you join me in this? Because it's going to reduce injuries. And within one year of Paul O'Neill taking over, Alcoa was the top performing stock in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Literally, he turned the company around on its head. And, and the reason why he ended up becoming Treasury Secretary was because he was so revered in the business community for his ability to transform one of the largest companies on earth. And the way he did it was by focusing on this one habit because he knew it was a keystone habit. And that by unlocking people's ability to change worker safety patterns, he would give them tools to change behaviors on the assembly line, selling, management, communication. And that's exactly what happened.